Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Kristen Harvison. I'm the president of the Edgar Allan Poe uh, of Poe Baltimore, which runs the Edgar Allan Poe House. Um, so it's very, I'm happy to meet you uh, this morning, and I'm also happy to introduce your three poets for this morning. Um, uh, Lalita Norana is a widely published research scientist, poet, and fiction writer. She is the author of an award-winning short story collect- collection, Where Monsoons Cry. She has twice won the Maryland Literary Short Story Award, a Maryland Individual Artist Award, the National League of American Pen Women Award, and the Maryland Writers Association Awards in Fiction, Creative, Nonfiction, and Poetry. She is a fiction editor for the Baltimore Review, and she teaches both science and creative writing. Erica Dawson's, uh, I'm sorry, Natasha Saye has, is the author of three books of poems, Red Under the Skin, Bend, Vivarium, and a critical book about poetry, Windows and Doors, A Poet Reads Literary Theory. Her honors include the Robert Winner and Alice Faye de Castellonia Awards from the Poetry Society of America, the 2002 Campbell Corner Poetry Prize, a Fulbright Scholarship to Slovenia, and a Camago Fellowship in France. Saye has been teaching in the Low Residency Vermont College of Fine Arts MFA program since 1996 and is a professor of English at Westminster College in Salt Lake City. Last is Erica Dawson, a second, whose second collection of poetry, The Small Blades Hurt, was published by Measure Press in January. Slate call, says she is she generates great deal of energy, great, great energy by pulling at the impossible and sometimes pleasurable tangles of what is constant in us and what is disposable in the world. Her first collection, Big Eyed Afraid, won the 2006 Anthony Hecht Poetry Prize and was published by Wayweiser Press in 2007. Erica is a native Marylander and is assistant professor of English and writing at the University of Tampa. All three authors will be available for, uh, for signing downstairs at the Barnes & Noble table. How is this? Can you hear? Is this on? Too close? I need to be close. Okay. How's this? Good? Yeah? All right. Thank you, everyone, for coming out here to listen to us. Um, the title of my book, Her Skin, Feel Thin, refers to my mother. Uh, my mother first came to America at the age of 59 to take care of my son, uh, her first grandchild. And so that I could return to work. She was 86 when she died in India. Uh, Watching her grow old slowly and grow weaker was very hard for me because I lived in the States and the distance between our countries made it visiting and seeing each other very infrequent, almost impossible. So we were over the years, always aware that every time we met could well be our last meeting. So this book is dedicated to my brothers and sisters in my mother's honor. And it's a very special book to me because I want to give copies to my nephews and my nieces and all of my grandmother, all of my mom's grandchildren so that I can leave it as something tangible for them to have. So the first poem I'm going to read, oh, well, Included in this book, though, in addition to that, are also other poems of separation, not just from my mother. So these are poems of immigration, separation, immigration causes separation, divorce, youth, time. 
the things we lose and we must learn to live without or less of. So the first poem I'm going to read is uh, Mother's Passport. I'm a teacher, so I'm so used to standing and reading. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mother's Passport. On the tarmac to a plane, now three hours late, my mother walks, her feet laced in bunion guards, heel cups, and corn removers. In her suitcase, instant soups, extra sharp cheese, effident tablets she'll break in half to make last, a pair of shoes she'll never use. She has shown her passport, midnight teal, Ashoka Lion seal, the Republic of India embossed in gold. It's getting old, soon to expire, she's told. She nods. Yes, she knows. She knows. Turns and waves goodbye. Um, as my mother grew older, she was confined to a bed, and since my brothers and sisters and all of us were scattered all over the world, we took turns going home to India to sort of keep her going in what we imagined might be her last year. So this is when I went and it was my turn. And this poem is called Sponge Bath. Two hours late this morning, the aide is here at last to turn her on her side, face to the wall, raise her arms, splay her legs. In the doorway out of sight, I see my mother cling to the headboard, her hair a silver fluff of dandelion, her buttocks flat as dinner plates, her skin phyllo thin. I watch how the aged aide chucks my mother's chin, scrubs her neck, rubs behind her ears, picks up her fallen breasts, lifts her at legs, scrubs between, thuds them down. Hey, I want to shout, slow down, slow down, not so rough. But dare I disrupt? Dare I find another caretaker? I, who did not stay and won't for much longer, have no say in such matters. Please, I want to beg, please, I'll pay you more in dollars, in advance, a secret between us. The third poem about my mom, uh, she would be very unhappy to hear me reading this year. She was very conscious of the bunions on her feet, which grew more and more as she grew older, which is a legacy of my grandmother. So, uh, but she's not here, so I'm reading the poem. <laughs> it's called Mother's Bunions. Each year, your bunions kept encroaching, jutting out like boulders over a ledge, brazen, unapologetic, skewing your helpless toes that lay upon each other, onion skin thin over bone. When asked what you'd like from America, your answer was always the same. Shoes, wide and soft, toes closed, so I can walk to church. These hard-paved roads hurt. Armed with tracings of your feet, I trudge through shoe stores, measure and match up drawings to the widest round-toed flats, and ask the attendant to stretch them some more. In disbelief, 
he'd shake his head. On my last visit, you lay on your back, legs bowed, heels on sheet, big knobbed bunions protruding, toes tilted, slanting. I did not bring you shoes. These days, my feet throb as if your bones still live in me, as if my toes have learned the way of yours, as yours did from your mother's feet before, as if there is no other way to be. I'm going to skip over to leave my mom's poems alone and go on to another time of my life when I got divorced and that had been after a 32-year marriage so I was going through a pretty rough time and I want to read two poems about that time of separation. And the first poem is called Journal Entries. As I riffle through the years, a journal of my marriage, I stop, reread lines, try to decipher clues, skip forward, back, looking for an arc of suspense, a premonition, a foreshadowing, a plot. I check entry dates. 1979, that night in the dark delivery room, the silhouette of your face etched in the space, in the space between the pain. 1999, your business sold, those dark nights you'd take the dog out, lean against my car, smoke a cigar, the silhouette of your face barely visible. 2001, the house sold four bedrooms, sunroom, a fireplace, some disrepair, but disrepair, but it passed inspection, the silhouette of your face as you handed over keys. I thumb 32 yellowed pages, blurred, dog-eared, water-stained, crossed out words, searching for the mystery, the heart of the story. It must be somewhere hidden among these blank pages at the end. And the second poem uh, is called Across Bones. We lie still in the void between then and now, my grandmother, mother and I, like bound pages in the book, in a book, back to front, arms about waists, tucked in decades, 100 years or more. But when on moonless nights I start to cry, my grandmother reaches far across my mother's bones, gathers my tears. It's all right. It will pass, she says. These things happen, have happened before, and will again. I inhale her breath and her mother's mother's breath, vapors of 10,000 years and years before that. When today becomes yesterday and days before that, she knows I will stretch across my daughter's bones, touch my granddaughter's cheek, say what she has said. We lie still in the space as one by one my grandmother puts back my tears into my eyes. Um, at the next poem I'm going to read is uh, 
you know, at one time there was a course at the Baltimore Museum of Art where a few poets were taught how to write ekphrastic poetry with the idea that uh, they would give us a piece, uh, a piece to write a poem with or for. And they wanted to put it, it was assigned, it was an assigned piece and they wanted to put it on the uh, audio tour. And the poem they gave me was uh, Paul Gauguin's Woman of the Mango. But what I'm going to read tonight, uh, today, is one called The Widow. Um, I have to tell you, when, when, when the audio tour began, you know, I don't have much family here, I just have two kids. And my son and my daughter-in-law were visiting, and I said, oh, you know, you, have to, you really have to come to the museum and go on that audio tour. And so we did, and my son looks at the painting and the woman of the mango, and he listens with his... And then he says, Mom, all you did is describe the poem. And I said, no, I did not. <laughs> so much for that. I'm not inviting them to any of my readings. <laughs> um, let's see. The widow... put pages next to everyone but that <sighs> maybe I'll skip over that one since I can't even find it um, I'll go on to I'm a scientist by training so um, I have two science poems and the first one is called Beyond the Cenozoic Era Beyond the Cenozoic Era. Eons from now will be found, fossils and sedimentary rocks, wrapped like Egyptian mummies in a tinge of grief. Some higher species will think we are extinct like the dinosaurs. Evolved pundits of paleontology and archaeology will collaborate, carbon date our remains, sequence our DNA, hypothesize about our species, our humanity, but we will still be there in the sweetness of nothing as we were before, as we are now, no further than is the first crocus from spring, the first kiss from love, the last breath from death. And the other science poem uh, is called A Poet's Calculation. And as a science teacher, we used to do uh, labs with fruit flies, and I used to teach genetics. And the thing about that was the fruit fly has a very short life cycle, so you can look at many mutations through several generations. And, um, and the mutations are um, you know, very obvious. You can vi they're visible. You can see a different color eye or a different shape wing and shape body. And so they were easy to, in that sense to do, to, as a genetic tool. Um, Tim, you know when? Yesterday I did this and Tim was telling me what page. I'm so sorry, I thought I wrote everything down. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna get to this. Oh, page nine, yeah, all right. A Poet's Calculations. Paired in vials of cobalt blue media, 
they mate. Metamorphose in 10 days. Specks of egg, eggs hatch squirming larvae, rice grain pupae, adult fruit flies. My students chart sex ratios and the inheritance of traits. Black, brown-bodied males, spiny oblong females, sepia eyes, vestigial wings. They record data, analyze, calculate gene frequencies. It's all done in a month. My calculations. Should I live to be, say, 80, a respectable age in these times? That month of teaching, a thousandth of my lifespan, flew by before I stopped to count butterflies or wrote the last line of this poem. My last poem is what I call, the last one I'll read is what I call my immigrant poem. You know, when you're young and you come to a new country, especially if it's the land of milk and honey, you are just so excited. There is absolutely nothing. You're like, you won the Nobel Prize just, just for the joy of being able to come because it's such an ordeal to be able to come to the U.S. Um, but with time, uh, as the years go, you, you begin to feel the, feel the loss of... I, I grew up in villages, so I still feel the loss of being a, like a village girl. Um, but this is called 40 Years Later, What I Know. Let me say this about immigrants who burrow through the earth to swim in rivers whose names they lisp. Mississippi, Missouri, so many S's, hisses, misses, the Grand Canyon they fly over with paper wings. I love the way they step off a plane or boat into a silky twilight, towing belongings. Prayer beads, bamboo flutes, jute bags, scraps of this and that, passports and photographs. Leaving behind scorched chimneys, banana leaves, monkeys hanging by their feet from trees. But here is what they not, do not say. We will never be whole again. We cannot in truth uproot. We will grow fins, wings, scales, tails, water-colored third eyes. We will use our arms as legs, heels as fists, bellies and backs as floats. We will fill our mouth with ash. We will chill our teeth, drink the acrid wine of separation, and sleep through occasions, birth, death, days between for this one chance to awaken, grateful, still surprised. Thank you all so much. I'll stand. I'm Natasha Saye. Thank you for being here. It's an honor to read with Lalita and Erica. And such a pleasure to be back in Baltimore, a city I lived in for 20 years. And in this building, I remember running into, I was doing research, and I ran into John Waters in the stairwell. <laughs> and so it just came back to me as I was going to the bathroom. I thought, oh, the last time I was here. So my new book is an abecedarium, so the poems are arranged in alphabetical order. 
and I'll just read a sort of selection, and uh, I hope I'll be able to find where they are because they're in alphabetical order. First one uh, is called Anathema, and the language is taken from Spinoza's Anathema. So he was, um, you know, anathematized, exiled from uh, from Judaism uh, in Holland in the what 17th century. Now, somehow came across the text of that particular document, and I adapted it for myself, uh, because now I live in a theocracy. I live in Utah. <laughs> so I reversed it and, and thought about Utah getting rid of me, or at least uh, religion, organized religion getting rid of me. So with the judgment of the priests in their amices and albs, their cinctures, stoles, and chasubles, the bishops in their mitres pointing to the sky, the rabbis in yarmulkes and tallets tasseled and clipped, the saints in their garments embroidered with compass and square, the ayatollahs in their black turbans and white beards, and all of the rest of the clergy who every day are more sure of their faith, who every day know more of the heresies I practice and teach. And with the consent of the elders and of all the congregations in the presence of the Bible, the Quran, the Talmud, in their prophylate, cathedrals and cloisters, mosques and minarets, synagogues and temples, etc., etc., and with precepts written herein with the curse Elijah laid upon the children and with all the curses which are written in the law and not in the law, and through those who have endeavored by diverse threats and laws and promises to take me from my way of living outside of religion, who will not pardon me, who raise a rod over my soul, whose axes ring in my flesh. I refuse the censer and the breviary, the thurible and the ciborium, the rosary and the offertory. I prefer my wine and bread unconsecrated, my soul unrepentant, Cursed am I by day and cursed by night. Cursed in sleeping and cursed in waking. Cursed in coming out and cursed in going in. Let the wrath and the fury of the righteous henceforth be kindled against me and lay upon me all the spells they think they can conjure. Destroy my name under every religion and cut me off from my undoing from all such tribes so that I may live as if I am already dead. That's what Utah does to you. <laughs> so the, when I ran out of letters of the alphabet, I started going to diacritical marks for inspiration. So I'll, I'll read a couple of poems uh, about those. This one's called Circumflex, which is the little, you know, and it indicates absence in, in uh, French words. I gave away his clothes, keeping only wool I could wear, a hand-knit sweater, natural gray cream. February 27th, his birthday, now gone a few weeks and forever, like the Battle of Hastings, where English shields couldn't hold and the language also gave way. After 1066, the circumflex appeared in certain French words, Trône, suprême, vote, 
an ornamental sign of grandeur, indicating not even absence. Together we saw the Bayeux tapestry in subdued light behind glass in quiet rooms, marveling at detail. A thousand plus years later, will I see someone on the street wearing the blue checked shirt with rough weave and bone buttons I liked so much? Signs are vacant seductions. It's him I miss. In French, a missing S can be marked with a circumflex, like the roof of a house in Seras, Languedoc. Constellations of crosses on doors and beams scratched with the year, a thousand plus years ago. When animals lived below their owners, and village houses crowded together against attack within town walls now gone. In one-third of the population, the left ventricular circumflex supplies sinoatral nodal artery. In others, blood takes a different route. His body presses memory. Festival becomes fête, fête d'anniversaire. Paste becomes pat. How we love to cook. The vowel then of a certain quality and long. Alphabet comes after sound as clothes make and do not make a man. And winter is winter, no matter whom or what I miss or gave away. I'll read another one, and this one is the uh, diacritical mark um, of. Uh, it's the opposite of a circumflex, so it's the, you know, this one. And uh, in Slavic languages, it indicates a missing H. So my name would be Natasha with a, you know, over the, over the S. Yeah, yeah, sure. Can you hear me? Is, this, is the distance okay? It's not too loud? I'm not shouting? Yeah, okay. All right. So this is sh, and it's, uh, it's uh, Slovenia is the is the topic of the poem. I had a Fulbright in Slovenia, and it's the country of my father, my father's country, and um, I reconnected with my myriad cousins whose names I mispronounced. So, at the room of a sleeping child, a finger to the threshold, teeth drawn together, hissing softened by lips, echoed in the cave, Little roof, Stresica, difference between a chocolatier, crush, and limestone, cross, white rocks struck by moon, as in sugar, which can be made from beets, cane, corn, maple, fruit, and milk. Its sweetness rhymes with bees. We say one thing is not another thing, and then in this language, every letter is pronounced. Cup gathering a drop of sound, dusty taste of the water, filmed skin after walking in the river, sound the residue of letters. I'd like a letter that splinters language from its parents to build a house of sticks overlooking the sea, letting waves instruct me. Air rushing through my teeth could have been passed through the tailpipe of a bus. I want happiness without a hole in it, the heroine says. 
and the reader knows she's doomed to a life of rifts. Some ideas are so deep you can live on them, deeper than the highest mountains are high, subterranean stalactites forming gypsum flowers like wallpaper. In such darkness, the pale pink alm, his degenerated eyes covered by skin, can live to a hundred years of age, Wan, cousin of the, of the newt or salamander, finding his way via smell. Even Proteus, shepherd of the sea's flocks, cannot protect him from polluted groundwater and his own rarity. He lives only in one place on earth, a place where sh is uttered, and might, if things were different, be a dragon in the ocean's waving fricative or at least a snake with a crown, none poisonous in this quiet country. I'll read two poems about Jamaica. Connected. One um, is set in 1775, and it's titled Milk River, and uh, it describes a legend, uh, a an event that happened there around that time. Uh, so M- Milk River is in the southwest part of Jamaica. It's not a place where a lot of tourists go. Um, and the poem has two lines of um, alternating voices. So one voice is simply the voice of the story being told, and the other is... Uh, lines taken from Mary Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. So I I think you'll hear the the difference. So this just tells the story. He'd stolen some cakes. What can be expected of thee when the beings on whom thou depend for reason and support have all interest in deceiving thee? been lashed so badly he looked like a skinned goat. The whole science of wantonness, a more powerful stimulus than appetite, was thrown into the dungeon. Errors are useful, usually to remedy other errors. Escaped. A man, when he undertakes a journey, has, in general, the end in view ran into the hills, living green on which the eye may look with complacency, came upon a stream of warm, salty, bubbling water and bathed his wounded body. Beings who can govern themselves have nothing to fear in life. Return to the plantation. The strong wind of authority pushes subalterns forward, They scarcely know or care why. Mr. Luddeford could not believe his eyes. Nature in everything demands respect, and those who violate her laws seldom violate them with impunity. The wounds had healed. He who loves not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God? Asked to see the stream in exchange for mercy. Monsters who scarcely have shown any discernment of human excellence have tyrannized their fellow creatures. 
fenced in the area and put the slave there as a watchman. By cultivation, the heart as well as the understanding open. And I think I'll skip the next one. It's going to read the connected poem I'll read. I'll just end on, let's see, my clock doesn't work. I'll end on uh, this one, Ode to eBay. (laughs) Oh, world, click, click. A Kerman rug, circa 75, cherry, teal, olive cream, cigarette burns. A Sturgis, metal that looks old, vanity light, 995. The very shoes, brand new, Joseph Seibel, size 39, Electra model that I walk in. At my fingers, 24 hours, a thousand auctions ending as I write this, and one of them might be for something I need or truly want and can afford. Romance of the Sea for 12 oyster forks, tomato servers, cream soup spoons. I thought for days about the menu to make use of every implement, but finally let them go. There'll be more, I said, and sure enough, today there were. All losses are restored and sorrows end. I've studied original oil paintings, 12,371 listings, Scottish fold kittens, two, and sandpaper, 71, and was pleased not to see my new purse. Oh, fellow buyers in our codes, seeing what we bought and when we paid. Welcome, ABC poet, eBay whispers when I boot up, just for you. Rugs to layer three feet thick, Jackie Kennedy's diamond, or a vintage mohair steif dachshund, Waldy, like the one I gave away, ready to pick up things where you left off? Now I see, schlepping was the problem in the past. It's shopping, pure I love, more edifying than TV. I know what things are worth. eBay knows I know and watches me. For whom does FedEx roll? It rolls for me. In the interim I've been allotted, I wallow in a ghastly gift, a click against the clock. Is that what it's about? Or substitution, plain and simple, stuff for what I lack. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm tall. Um, Thank you so much to Greg Wilhelm for organizing all of this and for asking me to be part of it. I feel really honored to share the microphone with you ladies. Uh, Personal thanks to my family for coming out and to all of my friends who are here. Um, I've got until 12.15, 12, 20, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 1.20? Okay. Uh, 3 o'clock. So I thought I would just read poems that sort of are representative of different places um, because I'm so lucky to be back here at home in Maryland. So there will definitely be some Maryland poems, but I thought I'd start in Archer City, Texas. I um, had an opportunity to go to an artist retreat for a weekend in the town that Larry McMurtry lived and wrote The Last Picture Show. I actually got to watch the movie 
the last picture show in the building where the last picture show was. It was pretty amazing. Um, but basically, I got there, and there was something about Texas that made me lose my mind just a little bit. So I wrote this poem. It's called Layover. I have half a mind to make a move. I stayed in Archer City where I made Larry McMurtry proud by downing one too many shots of ice-cold vodka, tumbler-sized. I hollered every word of sweet home Alabama while the band reprised knocking on heaven's door, packed up and quit the Legion dance. I thought I didn't know that song. So I two-stepped with a cowboy, kissed a Yankee, wrong, regretted it, so found my cowboy once again. The Yankee looking like a young Paul Newman, and the cowboy like I'll bed you hard and hot in jeans. What was it in the Texas air that brought Delilah out of me? Was it the quail and wild hogs? The barbecue cooked from a cow that tasted like a slaughtered cow? What hiked my temperature? It climbed the diving board and took its clothes off piece by piece, as if last May were my last picture show. Last chance to sweat with strangers in a spur hotel room, quaint with double beds and Lord Byron on the table. Me as Civil Shepherd in the lights for the first time, marking the stage, walking in beauty like the night too much for such a little place, where the town Indian said she was the town Indian, and my sweet cowboy said I gave him eyes, said I was high-heeled trouble, said I have the tendency to lead. So this one, for Preakness, is called Mojo Like a Mofo. (laughs) That's what it says, Mojo Like a Mofo, and the epigraph from My Fair Lady, and all at once my heart took flight. Now come on, Dover, move your bloomin' ass. How marvelous the ladies' necks don't break beneath their weighty Preakness hats. A speck of sweat, darling, your hanky. At the pass, the Audrey Hepburn heads turn right just as the lap relapses and the bears up on Dover's back. Circling a wet morass itself, the track, cough, the track coughs mud, and they're kicking now. The jockeys snap the whips across the flanks, penultimate in the trifecta, Dover, go. Down front, the ladies' heads adroitly grow to one high stunt chap to one high stunt chapeau with quill, petal, and parapet-like brim. Dear ladies Baltimore, do we hear the hooves pursuit? Do we hear how they tumble low like the final breaths of a real Pimlico? Leatherhead, like the horse's blinders. Do you hear the dark-eyed junko in the neighborhood, the hard knocks and circumstance moved in the pomp of triple crowns and the pawn of jackhammer stomps rhythms in asphalt? Do we know that Dover could be our Pegasus sign, could leap the mobile sign and leave Baltimore, leave our lips in O's? Our noble equestrians could be, with all their global births, just plain old lawn jockeys on the pine lace Anne Arundel beds. The shadows loom a step behind, where, closing in, as hints of trace assume their place, are seconds, and the seconds are in the mud, the sod, the pass, and all the finishes bloom.
excuse me, Oklahoma. I had half a mind for Richie Halverson and half for Tony Sims when Grandpa shot himself. He did it in the golden haze, bright golden haze, right near a redbud bough, right when those two young boys swift kicked my shins under the monkey bars. I swear the bone reverberated like aluminum while rain rusted the roof's cross hatches. Two birds and a single stone, it's six and half a dozen, I should have to know no more. If only he had done it in November, beneath a red bud in bright golden haze, when, like all romances, we'd all moved on, and that year's leaves were gone, with nothing but a carrion of branches strewn by hungry crows looking the least bit murderous. There would be nothing for the gun salute to hit during the funeral, no life to bounce against, refrain, and no more boomerang of bullets spreading out its reverie. The click-clack-blow sounds like what the word dead sounds like to children, tireless meandering, unending like the sidewalk walk to school, littered with dormant zoysia grass and white thick boxes, hopscotch drawn with sloppy chalk, where a trove of worms gathers around a slug dying in table salt like it's 20-some babies. If only it were February, when the ground beneath the snow's immunity has not one noise to mute. A winter sky could have had enough dark clouds to nigrify my grandpa's morning black or blue and block the sun, preserve the kind of haze where you don't know what day ends where or which one starts. He could have slept while I outran those boys and morning lingered in close longitudes. If only we all lived in Oklahoma. Who's due to say that morning needed tears? Time knows no hurt. And who are we to say the corn is not as high as an elephant's eye and that all the stars aren't big and bright here too? All right. Just two more. This is Florida Funeral. The tussocks grow up tall in June's hardcore as hell. Storm winds heave Christmas palms. The fronds life raft along a squall. Mosquitoes soar, anhinga snake, runoff bellies to stagnant ponds. The sinkholes never lose their quick. The sky decides as heat and dawn's abandoned rind. Haze shadows everything. No wonder I can see humidity has left me blind. It's been a minute since I've seen the sun in lightning bolts impelling docks to sparks. Each volt burns, so I look at every one and see a million lights and a thousand darks. Burned. This is how Florida leaves me. I know the reason why the river water stinks is its own weight, desire to overgrow, pervade the air. Though the channel calms its kinks and tides know some part of the day is low. A gecko climbs, preserved in the veneer of oil. It's dead, and some it's, it's dead, and still it seems to know I've got to get the fuck up out of here. So what when the tussocks grow tall enough to cover all evacuation routes? Interstates choke. I know I have to huff the smell of grass mixed with decaying roots of jackknife trees. The too wet soil heard danger and spills over when storms are tough enough to fuck me and the, mucking, and the mockingbirds out of a flight. Sweet navel oranges like it rough. 
and try to steady themselves, trapped as the twat of yawning orange blossoms opened up, unassuming to the toxic paraquat and its caution streaks. Bird shit in a lily's cup, June. My rills, too, are sick, June. When my skin reeks in its sweat, please do not make me claw out my own skin to find some air, June. Thin, I'm a moment's wind simpering at saw palms. You've already made a woman out of me. I cannot leave. Your heat hangs hot. Storms bury streets. I'm dead but not about to die as rising heat prepares to clot. Sinking humidity drops to the ground and it heats again. One last time. What when the tussocks grow thick and I lie in you to hush the sound of you. And that breeze comes back around to blow just for a second, making me think I should move. I hear you, Florida, and I'm heavy, wet now. You cradle my head. You throw a sky dyed orange as the clouds begin to set. And finally, I got to read in Baltimore, uh, God, um, May 2011, um, and I stayed with my brother like I'm doing this weekend, and I wrote this poem uh, in their living room of that apartment. (laughs) It's called Gave Proof, and there are some lines in the middle that I took from various documents um, asserting our freedom as people in America, uh, and also talk about a moment in uh, 1917 Uh, when a man named William T. Coleman was arrested in his own home for living on a street that he wasn't supposed to live on during the Jim Crow days. So this is Gave Proof. Before the ravens came, we knew of grief already. We had Orioles. We had the Bromo Seltzer's light and every face illuminating blue for 20 miles. And we had December 1917 and visitors rapping At the front door, the Baltimore PD in black and white on McCullough Street where Mr. William T. Coleman was not to lay his head. We had crow, gloaming lamplight, and the gallant gleam baptizing the constellation. We had one somniloquy of we the people, we hold these, we therefore, we been wanting, we know how to eat crab with Old Bay since that's what makes it good. We craved calliope whistles stationed in B&O hissed steam. We knew the next cicada year would turn our nearby Sandy Point Plutonian like last time. We knew snakehead fish would walk. So when the ravens came, a memorial was nothing, not a single wire. All the demons dreamed with opened eyes so dark they were purple. We knew that every heart of our city's four chambers took the humid air and grew denser, perfumed, thought sit through and grew sorry. We knew that every heart in our city's four chambers took the humid air and grew denser, perfumed, salt thick, and unseen. Thank you. Those wonderful, the wonderful poets for those wonderful poems, and to all of you for coming. Thank you very much.